Morning, Redemption. My name is Warren Williams. I'm one of the pastors here, being blinded by the lights currently. Um, and uh, glad to be with you as we continue on in our Countercultural Conviction series. And I, was, I saw that video in the first service, and I was like, with the amount of free cars that are being given out around here, we are definitely on the way to giving Oprah a run for her money. And so <laughs> grateful for this generosity, uh, grateful for the generosity of this church, which I've also received so much, and grateful that we get to talk about generosity today in light of the generous God that we worship. And so today I'd like to start off by telling you a story of two brothers. Brothers' names were Homer and Langley Collier. These two brothers, they lived in New York. Um, They were part of Manhattan's elite society. They lived a life of socialites. And they lived this way um, in the early 1900s. They lived this way up until 1920. And in 1920, something happened in the brothers' lives that kind of changed their trajectory. In 1920, the brothers' parents passed away. It just had an immense effect on them. And they turned into from like a socialite lifestyle to a more reclusive one. The brothers had some, had some ailments going on. So Homer was blind. He had some physical disabilities. And Langley had dysposophobia, which is just the fear of throwing things away. And so they lived this reclusive lifestyle. And within their house, because they were so afraid of someone coming in and stealing their stuff, they basically booby-trapped their home. So that if anyone came in and stole their, something, their stuff, they wouldn't be able to get away from it. They'd be able to thwart off anyone coming into their house. So the brothers lived in this reclusive way until 1947. And in 1947, one of their neighbors smelt a foul odor coming from their Manhattan brownstone. And when the police went to go check it out, they found the body of Homer Langley. And so the police get there, they find Homer, but they don't, um, Homer Collier, I've called him his brother's last name like twice now, Homer Collier. And so the police get there, they're kind of confused because they can't find Langley, right? They're like, where's Langley? And so they go on this two-week kind of nationwide search looking for for Langley, but after two weeks, they, they call it off. Because as they were clearing out the home after Homer's death, they found the body of Langley Collier under mounds of junk. And the police, they, they, they kind of completed, they concluded their investigation by saying, oh, I think I, they figured out what happened here. What actually happened was because Langley was caring for Homer, once he got crushed, no one was there to care for him. And so he died of starvation. And when you think about the brothers' lives, you could kind of step back and see that they were actually crushed by the excess things in their lives. And I know that when we hear a story like this or you watch the show Hoarders that comes on television, we look, at, we look at that and we're like, oh, those people have a problem. Right? And for many of us, we're on that Marie Kondo flow, kind of just living the minimal lifestyle. I've been to your homes. I've seen it. Evangelists for minimalism. And so we're like, no, we're not hoarders. We don't hoard anything. And what I would like to challenge you with today is that For many of us, we may be hoarders of a different type. We may not be hoarders of junk and newspapers and all our goods and stuff like that, but we might be hoarders of experiences. We might be hoarders of fancy vacations and dinners and um, our influence and um, our trips, our time, our effort. We can be hoarders of a different kind. And the, the risk that we run into when we hoard right, is that we're basically booby-trapping our lives. Whenever you try to put something 
in the place that only God deserves, you're, set, you're on a, a, a shaky foundation. And so as we think about this topic of generosity this morning, we remember as followers of Jesus, we are called to live as generous people. We are called not to hoard the different currencies that God has given us. And when I, I'm going to be using that term a lot today. And when I talk about the currencies of life, I'm talking about all the things he's given us. Right? Our time, our influence, our skills, our hospitality, and even our money. Right? We know that generosity is more than money, but it's also not less than money. It's also money. All the good gifts that come from above. And what we're called to do as followers of Jesus is to steward these currencies. Right, to use the currencies that we've been blessed with by God to bless others. And so my prayer this morning as we dive into this subject of generosity is that we would fall in deeper love and appreciation for all we've received in Jesus. Right? And that we, as we think about the generosity, this subject, that we would see it as a great privilege to be able to live as the generous people in worship to our generous God. Amen. Before we do that, would you pray with me? God, we thank you, Lord, for your generosity. God, thank you for these stories that we shared today. They're powerful. God, continue to shape us and form us to be a generous people. God, as we hear from your word, um, we, we remember the picture of you. Um, who You've given everything of yourself for us, God. And so help us um, to hear from your word this morning, to be shaped and formed by it, to be challenged to live more generously, and also, God, um, just to worship all you've done for us. We love you. In your name. Amen. And so as we think about generosity, especially as opposed to like um, some of the other topics we've gotten into in this series, there's generally like a positive outlook on generosity and culture, even outside of church. And so I think one of the most helpful places that we can start as we think about this um, is just like, what does this kingdom motivated generosity look like? And so pick up with me in Matthew 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. It'll be on the screen. And Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The first thing we see here as we dive into this topic of generosity is Jesus's command. Jesus's command is that we give for the father's delight. That we give for the father's delight. This passage is from the Sermon on the Mount. Right, I think Jesus is kind of doing his own countercultural conviction series in his time. Um, but instead of five weeks like us, because he's the greatest preacher of all time, he just does it one week, covers it all one day. Um, and his like his his uh, his listeners, they have a longer attention span because they don't have like iPhones and stuff that we all get distracted by. And so they're there. Right. And they're hearing the, 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 they're, they're hearing Jesus describe what the kingdom looks like. And as a part of this sermon, right, Jesus brings it up and he says, when you give, and I think that's one of the first things that we have to recognize. He doesn't say, hey, if you think about giving, it might be a good idea to give. He says, when you give, there's an expectation that people, right, or following God, following him would be generous. But he says, when you're presented with that opportunity, don't use that opportunity to exalt yourself. 
right? Don't use that opportunity to look around and to try to garner praise and recognition, right? But to give, strive for the satisfaction that's in the fact that the Father sees you, that he will reward you. And we have to remember whenever Jesus gives a command, right? He's not just trying to give you a moral principle so you can be a better person. By Jesus, when we hear from him, we're hearing about from the author of life, right? And when he talks, when he gives these commands, it's, it's what helps to lead to our flourishing. And so he's given this command, and he, Jesus is reality. And so when he talks, he's trying to, like, bring us into reality. And in reality, there is a God who sees everything, right? There is a God who's always present who always sees the good works, who goes to and fro throughout the work, look, throughout the earth, looking for people who are committed to him. And so God sees us. He sees your good works. He sees it, and he wants to reward you. And I think what Jesus is talking about is when you don't give in this way, you're living out of reality, right? Because you are trying to look for other people to give you something that only God can truly provide. And he says, hey, if you're giving in that way, Right? If you're giving for the recognition and the applause, guess what? You're being an actor. Right? The opportunity to give is your stage. Right? Instead of actually holding the beliefs that you're giving and you're doing it for God, you're actually just doing it in jest. And so Jesus says, hey, if that's what you're looking for, if the applause and the rewards and the pats on the back, if that's what you're looking for, when you receive them, that's all you'll get. That's all you'll get, the fading applause and pats on the back from people. But in Jesus, he offers a better way, and the Father being the one to see and reward. I was thinking about this recently as I was considering my sermon. I was on Facebook or Instagram or one of those big-time wasters, um, and I, you know, some pictures from the Met Gala actually popped up on my social media feed. And I was thinking about this, like every year I see photos from the Met Gala, and you know what, to this day, I don't even know what it's for. <laughs> right, I heard it's a fundraiser, I heard it's about the Met, but it feels like even though there's a ton of money being given by these folks, it's like $30,000 a ticket, right, there's a giving to get something. And in this way, it feels like it's a giving to get exposure. So you got a dude wearing a quilt up there, that's like, that's amazing. Um, and so there's a lot of that sort of giving, right? There's a lot of giving to get within our culture. And I was thinking about someone who kind of embodies the command and experience of like Christ-like generosity. And that person is Jason Raber. And Jason is one of our pastors and elders. He helps to steward um, our financial resources for redemption. And he's different than what you see at a Met Gala for many reasons. Um, I don't think anybody can like take down like a Carl's Jr. burger like that dude, man. That dude is, I admire you, Jason, seriously. <laughs> but Jason, uh, it, of all the differences then of what you see at the Met Gala versus here, the, I think his generosity stands out above the rest. And we saw this a couple of years ago in a story of a guy who came to our church needing some help. The guy's name was Larry. He was just having a tough time in a number of different ways, right? He was um, looking for work. He was living out of a storage facility, and he was just looking for someone to come alongside him and help him through some of the things he was struggling with in his life. And Jason actually entered into that situation. Right? He didn't just enter in with like just a checkbook. 
right? He entered in with all the currencies that God had given him, right? And was able to lay his life down in many ways for Larry, right? He provided his financial assistance, yes. Beyond that, he helped Larry to redo his resume so he could find work. He met with him in the storage facility, right? Hospi- showing a, a sense of hospitality, right? He helped him to write letters to his son who was in prison, And finally, he helped Larry to be able to afford a move-in truck so that he could be reunited with his family in Michigan. And with all the great stories that are being shared today, I thought it would be cool for you guys to hear this voicemail that Larry left for Jason. Listen in. Jason, this is Larry. I had to dig at your uh, number. I had it on that uh, folder when I had my stroke. I'm home. I love you. Thank you so much. And one day soon, it might be 10 years, it may be 20, I'm going to come back to Arizona and I'm going to look you up, buddy. Love you and thank you so much for helping me, man. You just, you know, I'll never forget you for that. I ended up staying one extra week past time just to try to make peace with my son before I left. But the whole ride home, all I got was rain, no snow, and I'm home now. Rolling in as I speak to you right now, rolling in Michigan. Thank you so much. Love you and God bless and happy new year to you and your family. Bye. Church, this is the kind of generosity we're called to. Right? And a generosity that aims not for recognition, but a generosity that gives to the Father's delight. The Father's delight is both our prize and our peace. Right? The prize of our generosity is not in people liking us, telling us we're in a good people, but it's living into the reality that like, God delights in you. God sees you. He delights in your good works. And we can be confident that what God is doing, right? there will be rewards that go into eternity, but even in the here and now, right? he works the, 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 the issues of like selfishness and greed. He works that out of us. That's a reward you can experience even in the here and now. Right, we rest in this peace that God is the one who exalts the humble. And his exalting is not one that fades away with time or with the change of people's opinion. It lasts into eternity. And the, the, the countercultural, what I want us to get is the, the countercultural approach that Jesus is talking about, the countercultural command he's talking about here, is really the better way. We, we often say and quote from scripture, where, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when you're generous in this manner, right, you actually get to experience freedom from the tyranny of people's opinions, right? You get to experience uh, freedom from what people may have to say about you, and you actually live into the reality of your relatedness to God. And there's a peace that goes there, right? There's a peace that also provides a way for us to love better. Because as we have our, like, vertical relationship, right, with, like, hey, God loves us, he's commanded us to love then we can actually love other people better, right? Because we're not turning to them to provide something for us that only God can provide. And so as we think about generosity, giving for the Father's delight, when we give, right, is the assurance that comes from God being the one to see you and reward you, is that enough? Enough for you. And what I would say is if that's not enough for you, Reality is, nothing else will be. We are generous to the Father's delight, His delight, 
is our peace and our prize. Amen? Let's keep going. Let's look at another way that this kingdom-driven generosity, what it actually looks like. Pick up with me in Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. It's going to be on the screen again. And he says, and he, being Jesus, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples, excuse me, he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And what Jesus is saying there, right, is the widow's gift is the most valuable there because it required the most sacrifice, right? It required the highest level of sacrifice. The widow's gift was hollowed by its level of sacrifice. The widow gave until it hurt. She gave until it hurt. And so Jesus, he's sitting there in the temple. He's observing. It's time to give, time for offering. And the people who are well-to-do, it's kind of expected for them to go and drop their offering into the offering box. Right? And so that's the normal flow of things, but then the scene changes because this widow actually starts to make her way to the front. And being a widow in that time, it's, it was, you were in financial ruin, right? If you didn't have a husband or a son to provide for you, it was little to no means for you to be able to have, uh, to be provided for. And so... People probably expect the widow, right? The, one of the responsibilities of the temple was to care for widows. And so the widows probably, they, they probably expect her to be receiving, but not necessarily making her way up front to give. But the widow takes her two coins, her two copper coins, which make a penny, which is the equivalent to like a dollar in today's um, standard, by today's standard. And I was thinking about this because I used to like put a dollar in the offering plate when I was younger, but I was like kind of ashamed, so I'd like fold it over to make it look like more. Um, but the widow has no shame. Right? She's making her way up front, and she's going to drop those two copper coins in. Right? And she's doing it. There must be a sense within the, the widow's heart that this is actually a gift from God. Right? And the God that she serves, there's no way that she could outgive him. There must be a sense in the widow's heart of the reality that God was her security and he was going to, he provided and he was going to do it again. Right? She, in the scripture, it doesn't say that she went up there like this, like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to trust you, Lord. She saw it as a privilege. She said, God, here it goes. I know you're going to provide. I know your character. And so she saw it as a privilege to be able to give even with the level of sacrifice. I was thinking about some of the most generous people in my life. My dad is probably one of the most generous people I've known. Um, and so I asked my dad, hey, dad, how did you become this way? Like, what are some, who are some of the people? What are maybe some of the books you read? What has kind of led you to live this generous lifestyle? And um, he talked about my great-grandmother. So my dad was one of 13. Um, that's a lot of kids. Um, and so uh, his mother couldn't handle it because if you have kids, you know why. Um, and so he went to go live with his grandmother, my great-grandmother. And my parents grew up in this country called Guyana. It's a poor country. My great-grandmother wasn't a woman of means. And so my dad's living there 
But one thing he's like, that's just like rocking him, is that in spite of her being a woman without much money, right, their home was like a hotel of sorts. As anyone who needed shelter, she was just saying, hey, come here. I have a place for you to stay. Right? And in spite of her not even knowing maybe where her next meal was coming from, she would send him with food to hospices, to places where people were sick and their families weren't visiting them. And she would send them with food and they would just get the impact of knowing that they, are, they haven't been forgotten, right? that they were seen, that they were being provided for. And so she lived in this generous way. And I asked my dad, hey, how was she able to do that? Why didn't he pause for a second? He thought about it. He said, you know, I think for a lot of us, when it comes to generosity, we often think about like how much it's going to hurt, how much we uh, don't have, and all those sort of things that come into our mind. But she didn't start there. She just started with what she had. She said, hey, I have these things. And so how can I use these things that I've been given to be able to be generous and loving to the community that I'm in? She started with what she had. One of my uh, favorite preachers, Tony Evans, um, he tells a story that goes like this. He says, a, a preacher out in the country was testing one of his rich members who was a farmer. And the preacher asked the farmer, whose name was John, he said, John, if you had 100 pigs, would you give five to God? And John said, yes, pastor, I would. The preacher then said, John, if you had 20 pigs, would you give uh, five to God? And the preacher was like, yes. Uh, John was like, yes, of course I would. Oh, I, I wouldn't I? I'm, I'm a generous guy. You know me. And then the preacher goes, John, if you had two pigs, would you give one to God? And John responded, preacher, cut that out. You know I only have two pigs. The reality there, right, is that for many of us, we are able to be generous when the situation is hypothetical. Right, we, we, put our, we say, hey, if I was Jeff Bezos and I was making a billion, I would go and do that. And it's like, hey, you, you know, people are upset about him for all different reasons, but it's like, do you hold yourself to that same standard that you are calling him to? Right, a lot of us live in the fantasy. If I won the lottery, I would give this much to the church, and then I would go get the Bugatti, and then I would go. And God's not asking you to live in fantasy. He's saying, live in reality. Look at the, 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 the different currencies that I've given you and start there. Start with what I've already given you. Generosity doesn't start someday. It doesn't start in a fantasy place. It starts today sacrificially living into the reality that God is our security and he will provide. And I think to, to get this out of the way, whenever we have a sermon about Let's say we're talking about money. I couldn't believe they gave me this week, but then I thought about everything Josh had to preach on in the last couple of weeks, and I was like, thank you, God. <laughs> and so I'll proudly preach this sermon. I'll proudly talk about money. Let's do this. Um, but so, you know, when it comes to the, the topic of like tithing, right, of generosity, when it comes to giving to missions or to church or whatever it may be. A lot of times the question is, I say, should I give 10%? Should I give 20%? Should I give none percent? I'm doing that. I've been building up my savings. It's been really great. My response to that question would be, give to the point that you're uncomfortable and utterly dependent on God. 
when you think about that widow, what did she give? Everything she had. Everything that she had. And I think the reality is, is you're only, again, able to be generous in that way. Right? If you, one, recognize that everything that's been given to you comes from God. Right? And then, two, that he's a God of abundance. He'll provide. Right? He'll meet your needs. Right? And he's your security. You know, when I, um, I was thinking about my daughter, right? My daughter, she's two years old. And whenever I give her something, if I give her a toy, she just picks it up and she throws it down. If I give her one of those little juice pouches, she picks it up, uses it, throws it down. If I give her a book, she just picks it up, throws it down. And what I want my daughter to understand, right, is that there's a proper place for these things to go. She's two. There's a lot of grace. Give her a lot of grace. But that's the way, like, God gives us, like, time. And a lot of times we pick it up, throw it down mindlessly, scrolling, mindlessly wasted somewhere. Right? He's given us sometimes even that time. And we, we say, hey, I need all this time for myself. And we're just, we're just like become this full bag that just needs to be poured out at some point. Right? He gives us influence. And instead of using that influence maybe to empower others, right? to display the gospel and you know, the, the places we have influence, right? we use it as an opportunity to protect ourselves. He gives us money instead of using it, right, for the sake of some of the things that he may be moving our heart towards. Amazon packages are coming in the mail. Just over and over and over, buying, buying, consuming. And the proper place for these currencies that God has given us is to be laid down in worship to him. Laid down in worship to him. And when they're laid down in that way, there are treasures that last beyond into eternity. I was thinking about this. I was like, even if you hoarded all the gold in the world, when you got to heaven, it's asphalt. There's a proper place for these currencies to go. We're called to be good stewards, and stewardship implies that we are utilizing and managing, but we're not owners. So as we bring this section to a close, I would like to just ask you the question, where is God calling you to give sacrificially? Where can you give? How can you give that can help to lead you to an utter dependence on God? Amen. So this brings us, we're going to keep going, and we're going to get to our final point for today, and we're going to get to our ultimate why behind our generosity. We're going to get to what kind of spurs this desire in us to be generous people. Pick up with me in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 through 9. And the Apostle Paul, he writes to the church in Corinth, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And Paul's powerful words there, right? They, they show the fuel. They give us the fuel for our kingdom generosity. Right, our, our generosity is motivated by the generosity of God, most clearly seen through the giving of his son. 
right? The cross, the picture of our generous God's love, the cross that stands just tall over the entirety of human history, right? We see there the generous love of God. And so what Paul's getting at there, right? He wants the church, he wants us to hear that we give because of all we've received in him. You give because of what you've received. And so here, Paul, he's writing to that church in Corinth, and he's encouraging them. He's kind of exhorting them to be more generous. They were actually in a good financial place, but they maybe weren't being as generous as some of their sister churches. And so Paul, he brings up, you know, the church in Macedonia who's in a worse off place. They're able to be more generous than you. And, um, but like his motivation for encouraging them is not even necessarily about what that church is doing. It's like, remember what you've received. Remember the God that you serve. Remember the God that left the comforts of heaven, put on flesh, dwelt among us, suffered, died for your sake so that you can actually experience life. And there's a sense there of that if you remember that, if you remember the flood of God's love that is seen through Christ, that the overflow of your heart should be generosity. You remember how much you've been extended in Christ. And if we, if we really grasp that, if we really come to grips with how far our God has gone for us, there's a sense that we live as people who have who've been extended much and live with hands extended. Hands extended in worship saying, God, thank you for all you've given us. Thank you for what you've done. And then hands extended saying, how can I be generous? In gratitude for the grace that's been given to me. How can I live how can generosity be the overflow from your love of what you've done or what you've done for me? You know, if I'm being honest, um, when I think about generosity, it's a subject that like really hits me like pretty hard. Um, I try to be as generous as I possibly can. You know, my family and I, we try to be generous. And I think a lot of it um, stems for me personally from a, a sense of gratitude. Right, there have been people in my life who have been radically generous. And there are many people, there are many stories I can go into, but I'd like to tell you one today. And the story is about a, a, a guy whose name is Orlando Torres. And so Orlando was my manager when I first got um, here to Arizona. One of the companies I worked at, he was, he was the manager there. And guys, if I'm being honest, my first year in Arizona wasn't great. I didn't love it. Sports teams, I'm just playing. I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to do it. Not today. No, I was disconnected from community, disconnected from church, disconnected from many different things. Right? And after that first year, I was like, I think I just need to get closer to family. I need to get back to my family on the East Coast. This whole experiment just isn't working out. And so I went to Orlando and I said, Orlando, I'd like to be transferred back East. And he said, absolutely. Absolutely, I'll do that for you. And so my position here was eliminated. I started to like process in my mind. I was heading back east and started to let my family know I'm coming home. And then I'll never forget, I was sitting, um, sitting in my apartment. I lived on, in an apartment on Broadway in McClintock in Tempe, right next to Joe's Italian Sites over there. They're good. You should check them out. And I was sitting there and God had stirred on my heart. He said, hey, Warren, I think you should start to, you should go back to church. And so I'm sitting there, and I start to Google search churches in the area. And Redemption, Redemption Tempe, the church we're in today, pops up. So I was like, all right, go check it out. So I walk in, 
walking to redemption, walking here one Sunday morning. I just felt like a sense of like belonging. Um, I got connected to an RC. I always joke there was no like new here DNA class. You just had to show up at somebody's house and hope they weren't like an axe murderer or something. But it all worked out. That wasn't the case. Got connected to a great RC and really like there were so many things like that within community happening. God was doing stuff, was being discipled. But even more so, there have been a couple of times in my life where I've clearly felt God telling me to do something very directly. And what he was telling me to do in that moment was, hey, Warren, you cannot move. You cannot go back east. And so I was like, all right, God, if this is what you're saying, um, I'm not expecting grace from work. You know, I'm expecting, hey, this, you made your decision. This is what's going to happen. So anyway, I go into the office. Um, I walk in. I get a meeting with Orlando. He sees my face. And you know, if I'm like really going through something, it's all here. Like I wear it all and the anxiety just pours off of me. And so he sees, he's like, hey, Warren, what's going on? And I sit down, I start to explain to him, hey, I found this church. I know it's kind of weird to talk about faith and all that, but I feel like I'm supposed to be here. And I'll never forget his next words. Because what he, what he said to me, he said, Warren, what does the Lord want you to do? And I had that moment of shock because I didn't know he was a Christian. I was like, oh, okay, like this is, this is great, man. No, but I, I explained to him and I said, hey, like, I feel like God's telling me to stay here. And he said, don't worry about it. We're going to figure it out. And from that point on, it just wasn't like lip service or anything. He used every part of every currency that God had given him to allow me to stay here. And then when I think about all that's come from that point, right? Me and my wife, having kids, being in so many of you guys' lives. I think about a lot of that has to do with that man's generosity. Right? And I, I, I've concluded that he was able right, to, 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 to give that sort of generosity, to be generous in that sort of way, because he had been rocked by God's grace. Right? And God's grace is not just the unmerited favor that we receive. It is that. But it's also, it gives us the power to do the things that we can't do in ourselves. And that's what God's grace had moved, had moved him to be generous towards me. God's grace. I think the motivation for our generosity, right, it comes from a, a place of gratitude towards all we've received in Christ. A place of gratitude towards the grace that's been given to us in him. I think oftentimes in culture, when there's an opportunity to be, to, for us to be generous, right, there's, it's usually driven by like a sense of like extreme guilt. I think about um, the ASPCA commercials with the dogs that are crying and stuff. I'm like, come on, y'all. The Sarah McLaughlin music playing in the background. It's like, you, they're trying to guilt you into giving so that you don't feel bad about changing the channel next time. But that's often what the motivation is for generosity when we see it in the culture, culture at large. But a kingdom-driven generosity Right, is a giving because of what you've received, not because of your guilting or your guilt of what you haven't done. It's about what you've received. And in Christ, what we've received is the greatest treasure that we could ever hope for. Right, Paul goes on to talk about Jesus as the indescribable gift. Right, the, the, the gift of life that we've received in him. That's what motivates our generosity. And Jesus is not like, again, like your moral teacher that gives you a principle. 
He doesn't just give you a command or a principle. He gives you the ability to be able to do it. So he is, his spirit is what leads us to be generous in this way. Right? The recognition of what we receive to him leads us to stir our hearts, the overflow of our hearts to be generous. As we, if we think back to our brothers, um, Langley and Homer, right, we talked about how they were crushed by their treasures. Right? Booby-trapped their lives, crushed by their treasures. But when we remember Jesus, we remember the treasure that was crushed for us. When you realize that grace that's been given to you freely, no strings attached. Right? You see, it kind of leads you a generosity of the same way. No strings attached, freely. Right? And it's a very tangible way to reflect the gospel. I've heard it said, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. Church, generosity is not about our virtue. It's not even, in a sense, even about the needs that we're, we're meeting. That's important. But it's a, it's a God-honoring act right, that celebrates all that we've received in him. And I, I want to say, if you're not feeling that motivation, you're not feeling that desire to be generous, I would encourage you to remember all that Jesus has done for you. Where would your life be without him? And if you don't know him, I encourage you to come forward for prayer. We would love to pray, love to tell you about him. But church, it's because of God's excessive generosity that we are able actually to experience life in truth. It's because of his generosity, right? That all sorts of ways that we may have found ourselves in the pit that he pulled, went there and pulled us up from it. Right, and brings redemption, brings restoration to us and the entire creation because of his generosity. That moves us towards being generous people. Amen? And so as we come to the table this morning, we remember our generous Savior. We remember our generous Savior who gave everything of himself to the Father's delight. We remember our Savior who gave everything of himself until it absolutely hurt. Right? And we remember him in whom that we've received the gifts of life eternal, right? the eternal security that we have in relationship to the God of the universe because of him. Right? We are generous because of what we receive in him. Amen? And so in the bread, we remember his body given freely for us. In the wine and the juice, we remember the blood of Jesus, the blood that never loses power to save. Remember it freely shed for us. And I'm going to pray, but I'd encourage you to use these next three songs. If you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus, come forward for communion. And use these next three songs to think about what areas of your life maybe that you're still hoarding. Like you're hoarding something that's been given to you by God. Think about that. Ask God to reveal those parts of your life where you're doing that. And then ask him this week, right? just even this week, start this week. Who is someone in your life that you can live this sort of generosity towards? that you can move towards. Pray and ask God for that. I'll pray and close this out now. God, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for how you became poor so that we could become rich. God, we thank you, Lord, 
that you are providing every single day, every single day, every gift that we've gotten, there is none that we haven't received. And so God, I pray this morning that you would continue to shape us and form us to be your generous people. A people that live and reflect the reality of all you've done for us. God, if there are parts of our hearts, Lord, where we still feel like we need to keep some security for ourselves, remind us, Lord, that you are our security, that you are our provider. God, and it is a privilege to join in, to be generous with all you're doing here on our earth, Lord. God, lead our hearts now. Allow our worship to be generous, generous praise towards you, our good Father. We love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.